0: From Miami Law, I'm Annette Ugez, and this is The Explainer. But I don't know. I, I think that
1: people are concerned about what the court is going to do, whether the court is going to
0: decide that, in fact, kids shouldn't be treated differently. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. In 2002, a 17-year-old Jamaican illegal immigrant was arrested and later charged and convicted along with a 41-year-old accomplice in a string of sniper murders across the United States that killed 17. Lee Boyd Malvo was sentenced in 2003 to six consecutive life sentences without parole in Maryland and four more in Virginia. This fall, the Supreme Court will hear Malvo's appeal on the grounds that those sentences may not have been constitutional for a juvenile offender. Miami Law's criminal law expert Tamara Lave joins us. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Tamara. Thanks for coming.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good. Um, So let's talk about juvenile offenders. A little bit about maybe how the laws differ from state to state, but we should probably go through the different parts, the 2005 unconstitutional death penalty for for juveniles and Miller versus Alabama and Montgomery versus uh, Louisiana before we get into what the Supreme Court's uh, going to just or going to argue tomorrow.
1: Sure. So before 1988, the Supreme Court said nothing about whether or not you could execute kids but in 1988 in Thompson versus Oklahoma the supreme court said that the 8th amendment barred executing anybody who'd committed their crime under the age of 16
2: and that didn't matter if i no, can't say it that it was a blanket rule blanket no can't matter what it. you did no matter how you had rebuilt, rehabilitated yourself it didn't matter you could be executed you, no you could not could not be executed could not be executed right. correct
1: so then one year later in stanford versus kentucky the supreme court ruled that you could Execute 16 and 17 year olds. Okay. So that stayed in place into Roper versus Simmons in 2005, in which the court held that it violated the Eighth Amendment to execute anybody under the age of 18 at the time of their offense. So that then became this role of cases in which the Supreme Court said that kids are different, that because of their development, because of their maturity, because of their impulse control, et cetera, that they simply weren't as culpable as other kinds of offenders. And also their youth made them much more likely to be able to be rehabilitated. So Roper was followed five years later in 2010 by Graham versus Florida in which the Supreme Court held that you, that it violated the Eighth Amendment to give life without possibility of parole, or LWAP, as we say, to a juvenile who committed a non-homicide offense. He had to, or she had to have, had to be guaranteed um, the, excuse me, they didn't have to, it, it, it wasn't that they had to be guaranteed release from custody, because people do bad things in custody. It's that they had to have some realistic opportunity to obtain release. And then two years later, in Miller versus Alabama, the court held in a five to four decision with Kennedy in the majority, which matters, as we'll talk about in a little bit. The Supreme Court held that it violated the Eighth Amendment to give mandatory life without possibility parole to child killers. And then in Montgomery versus Louisiana in 2016, the Supreme Court in a six to three decision held that Miller applied retroactively, which meant that um, any sentence of a, a mandatory life pill possibility parole sentence for a juvenile offender had to be um, overturned. They had to be resentenced and it's important that in Montgomery versus Louisiana they went a little bit further and they said that there was also a procedural requirement in which for a judge to sentence somebody or a jury to sentence somebody to life without possibility of parole they needed to consider certain kinds of factors about the the offender's youth and the attendant circumstances of the
2: offense so let's talk about Lee Boy Malbo and where he was sentenced and what he was sentenced with.
1: So uh, Lee, Mo- Lee Boyd Malvo was involved in a series of um, very ho- high profile homicides, and they were committed across various states
2: to start. He started in Washington and it, Washington State and moved to uh, D.C., Maryland, D. C. Virginia, and he was where was he sentenced and what was he sentenced to?
1: So he was sentenced, first of all, in Virginia, and he was sentenced to at the time his his trial. The the crimes took place in 2002 when he was 17 and the trial took place and the sentencing took place in 2004. So this is a year before the Supreme Court has held that it violates the Eighth Amendment to kill children. So when he was sentenced, the jurors had the option of sentencing him to life without possibility of parole or death. And in the mitigation hearing or so in so death penalty cases have two phases. There's the, there's the guilt phase, and then there's a the penalty phase and the Supreme court has in, in previous cases ruled that the offender has the right to put on mitigating evidence if the jurors have to then weigh the aggravants versus the mitigants. And so in that sentencing phase, uh, Malvo put on all kinds of information about his youth, et cetera, and the jurors ultimately decided that he should be sentenced to life without possibility of parole, not to death. And then he, so he had those trials and then he pled guilty and he uh, sent was sentenced to uh, life without possibility of parole again. Six counts. Correct. I believe that's the total And then number. four
2: more counts separately in Maryland. Yes, I'm sorry. I don't remember the
1: exact number. There were multiple multiple people who were killed. There were multiple counts, multiple charges, multiple court proceedings.
2: And then he was never tried on all the other states where he also committed murders. Yes. Some of those states waited. Trials are
1: expensive and time-consuming, and the states decided to put their resources elsewhere.
2: Right. Once you're in jail without possibility of parole, why bother? Yeah. Um, So that brings us up to the Supreme Court case being heard tomorrow. Can you talk a little about that and how it's likely to go or, or, or what the precedent they're setting it on?
1: Sure. So at first glance, it appears kind of minor. I mean... It, you know, what the, the 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 biggest issue they're trying to figure out is how to interpret Miller in Montgomery. Remember that Miller said that you, that it violates the Eighth Amendment to give mandatory life without possibility of parole. What that looks like is if you're convicted of a certain offense, there's no choice. The judge or the jury has to sentence you to LWAP. Well, when Montgomery in, in in Montgomery, when the court was trying to decide whether or not Miller should be applied retroactively, they actually took Miller a step further and they said that for any life without possibility parole hearing to sentence uh, someone under the age of 18 to LWAP, that the hearing, that the the judge or the jurors, whoever was making the decision, that they had to actually consider whether or not there was permanent incorrigibility. They needed to actually consider the person's youth and the attendant circumstances. And so Montgomery put in place a procedural requirement of these hearings. So the first question Okay, so so Montgomery p- puts that in place, and so when Malvo appealed his decision and appealed his sentences, one of the argument the state made was, well, when you were sentenced, you weren't. It wasn't mandatory that you got life without possibility parole. The jurors had a choice. Number one, and then second of all, they said that Virginia is a state where um, a judge can make a decision to reduce a sentence later on. And what the Fourth Circuit said was, the Fourth Circuit said. No, the Fourth Circuit said even for LWAP proceedings that are not mandatory, even when you have a proceeding in which the judge makes a decision, for that decision to be valid under the Constitution, the judge must explicitly look at these factors about the person's youth. And the courts and the Fourth Circuit said that had not taken place. And so that's why he was entitled to have a new sentencing. So the first issue and the biggest issue is whether or not Montgomery is essentially. That reading of Montgomery is essentially valid. Whether or not when you are when you are paying attention to these resentencings, whether or not that requirement to resentence also applies for any LWAP proceeding in which the judge did not go through the certain protocol.
2: So, but in the case of of leboy Malvode, he is not ever going to get out of prison forever.
1: I mean, so— Technically, he could right now, because technically he could be resentenced on all these cases. And technically, a court could find that uh, he that the case, because of the facts of the case, because of his youth, because of his vulnerability, because of the fact that his mother had essentially abandoned him, because he was under the extreme control of uh, a psychopath, um, that he should that, that, that that those are factors that should minima or that should lessen his culpability. Mm -hmm. But if a court does that or if courts do that and they decide they want to sentence him to something where he has a chance at at release, well, then the other states in which there are these pending cases, remember, murder has no statute of limitations. They've said that they are going to retry him or, or they are going to try him on those cases. And so although he might win sort of you know he might win the battle he's unlikely to win the war shall we say okay.
2: but this would impact a lot of other uh then juveniles there're 12 i think just in the virginia system alone
1: yes i mean one of the thing that's interesting or one of the things that's interesting about this case is that family members of some of malvo's victims have joined in supporting his his motion, have joined and said he should be resentenced. And they've said that this isn't just about him. It's about other other juvenile offenders. And so, you know, what's unfortunate is that this case is so egregious. And this is somebody who in cold blood murdered multiple people for no reason at all. And so it's the kind of case where you look at him and you think, well, this is the kind of person that deserves life without possibility parole. But what's important to remember is that the decision in this case impacts not just Malvo, but other people, other people who were sentenced to LWOP, who were not given this kind of hearing that's contemplated in Montgomery.
2: Uh, well, part of the, the reason that there are those speaking out victims' families is because they don't want to be re-traumatized re-victimized by having to go through the whole thing again, correct? Yes,
1: yes, absolutely. So one of the things that's hard in our juvenile, in our criminal justice system in general, is that there's a lot at stake on both sides. And absolutely, if, if the Supreme Court rules that he needs to be resentenced, it is going to be difficult. But if the constitution requires that, that's what the constitution requires.
2: Right. But I mean, that speaks to not that they were like, oh, he's such a good boy. He should get out. It was more like, yeah, we don't want to have to go through all this again. Well, but understand they would have to go through this again. I mean, if there's another. So
1: your your question's a little bit odd because. When they are supporting him, they're supporting the fact that he deserves to be resentenced. If he's resentenced, then presumably what's going to happen is the state's going to put on their horse and pony show, and the victims are going to testify about the impact, and then people are going to testify about Malvo's youth. And so there is going to be an opportunity to hear it all again. And they are going to have. They could decide they don't want to participate, but they probably will participate. Mm-hmm. I. But but one of the arguments that some victims make, maybe not these victims, but other victims, is that the cost of interpreting Montgomery the way that the Fourth Circuit has interpreted Montgomery means that offenders across the country, or people who committed crimes when they were juveniles who were sentenced to life without possibility of parole— All those people will have the have the the right to be sentenced again. And so that means that victims will have to come in and testify again. And so that will be or can be traumatic for them.
2: I I don't we haven't really touched on this and I haven't looked into it, but. Is Lee Boyamalvo sort of the top of the pile on the number of people he killed versus there may be youthful offenders that did stupidly kill one person? You know, and so their case would be much different than somebody who tried to kill 17 people.
1: So although right now in the news, it appears that there are many mass murderers since there seem to be mass shootings every week or so, um, there aren't historically that many youth that are shooting and killing, you know, 17 people or however many people he killed here. So, you know, I haven't quantified the number of killings these people are these people are looking at, I mean, you know, he is, he's almost certainly the worst of the worst. But remember, I mean, the whole point of this, the whole point of Miller and Montgomery and all of these cases is that kids are in fact different. And what's really sad here is that, is that Mr. Malvo had a, you know, a terrible childhood. He had a terrible mom who was irresponsible and who essentially abandoned him and left him with this person who was a horrible person. Dad was no
2: walk in the park either.
1: What? Okay, I don't mean just. I mean I'm a mom. I'm not. You're a mom. I'm not trying to just blame the moms. I'm just trying to say that, you know, would he have done this? He if he wasn't influenced by Muhammad, if he wasn't trained by Muhammad, if his food and his shelter weren't being given to him by Muhammad,
2: I think not. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, are there any signposts that might foreshadow the ruling? I don't know about signposts. I
1: think that the concern that people have or that I have is this is a more conservative court. Uh, This is a court where Justice Kennedy is no longer on the court. He has been uh, replaced, of course, by Justice Kavanaugh. And we don't know what the Supreme Court's going to do. They have not of late cared much about precedent. And Miller versus Alabama, for instance, was a five to four Decision. Kennedy was in the majority. He's not here anymore. What's the court going to do? Are they going to use this as an opportunity to? I mean, Montgomery versus Louisiana was six to three. Um, but I don't know. I, I think that people are concerned about what the court is going to do, whether the court is going to decide that, in fact, kids shouldn't be treated differently and they're going to. Um, go backwards and what has been a steady progression of realizing that kids are less responsible. I don't know what this new court is going to do, why they took this, why they took this, whether they're using this as an opportunity to make it clear that Montgomery does infect, excuse me, does in fact require that these people who were sentenced to LWAP that did not have this kind of individualized hearing based on youth, that they have that hearing. It'd be nice if that's what they were planning to do but I can't imagine I'm the only person that wonders.
2: Mm -hmm. Anything else we should dive into?
1: No, you know, I, I will say one thing. It's interesting that in Montgomery versus Louisiana, it was a six to three decision and that I went and looked at it. Roberts joined the majority and he did not write a separate concurring opinion to say that he agreed that Miller should be applied retroactively, but that he disagreed with this sort of expanded definition of who deserves this sort of more nuanced child-centric hearing. And so maybe that is room to be optimistic that the court will not uh, overturn Miller, will not overturn Montgomery. I guess the last thing I'll say is this, what we're talking about is going backwards. Unless the court does something to overturn Miller or Montgomery, going forward. It's very clear what states have to do. States may not, cannot, are prohibited from sentencing a person who committed murder under the age of 18. That person cannot be sentenced to mandatory life without possibility of parole. And for any child in any state in the country... Um, From this point forward, actually from Miller and from Montgomery in 2016 forward, states could not sentence somebody to life without possibility parole unless they gave a certain kind of hearing in which these these, um, considerations about the person's youth were explicitly considered.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll be back in the chair uh, when we get the ruling
0: in the spring. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from The Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Ugez. Today's show was brought to you by Miami Law's Professional Responsibility and Ethics Program that develops continuing legal education ethics training for the legal community. For more information, visit www.law.miami.edu backslash prep.